following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. And welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the High Low Sports Podcast. We appreciate you all for joining us here on this Wednesday evening, or if you're checking us out in one of your favorite places to listen to podcasts. It is always a delight to spend some time to talk a little bit about what's going on in the sports world with you. It is DJ, joined, as always, by my co-host, Kelsey. And Kelsey, we're closing in on our favorite time of the year, arguably, and I'm not, talk- I'm not talking about sports, I'm talking about Thanksgiving, honestly. But Thanksgiving is kind of where the sports gets really fun. The NFL season gets into its more or less climax point where the teams start to fight for those spots. College football rivalry week as well, too. We just got top 25 we'll be talking about. We start getting closer to baseball, talk about spring training. Like, we we got a lot of – and college basketball fully starting to get underway as well. Yeah, there's a whole lot of stuff going. But, yeah, no, Thanksgiving obviously being the most important time of this year. Mm-hmm. Um, if you guys don't know, we did a whole episode on it. But two years ago and last year and I think – years in a row, possibly ago. three in a row. We'll wait and see. Yeah, we might have something else going on this year. Uh, you just never know. Um, but yeah, no, look, it's one of our favorite favorite times of year. This is the only time you can be a glutton and not get judged by it, uh, as our true. comments on YouTube has told us anything. Uh, <laughs> but you know yes, what? This head is real, by the way, YouTube. Like, this is my real head. This is not photoshopped. Look, we got, you got to love who you are a little bit, huh? <laughs> uh, but no, anyways, uh, yeah, it's it's a great time of year. Obviously, sports wise, it's it's one of the more fun times. You get a lot of the traditions that come around with with Thanksgiving, which means the Friday after. Friday and Saturday and after Thanksgiving, there's a lot of rivalry games for college football. But on Thanksgiving, you have a lot of old school rivalries for NFL. Um, as you mentioned, you know, you're getting closer and closer to spring spring training with uh baseball. You get a lot of rumors coming in because they're getting ready for the opening of well, free agency and everything else. So it's still the biggest irony to me is when the guys are, are celebrating the World Series. We didn't talk about this during the World Series recap, but um, you know, it, we actually didn't I don't think we did one, but you know what? Uh, it always bothers me that that dudes will be out on the field celebrating with their teammates and half of them are free agents. At the moment they're celebrating the World Series, half of them are free agents on their own team while still wearing another team's jersey. So it, it just bothers me with the way MLB free agency works. Um, but yeah, it's that, that'll that'll forever bother me. Um, no other sport has it that way. You don't actually become a free agent until like two weeks after their championship game. So, um, But for some reason, baseball, technically you become a free agent. You can't do anything. But you become a free agent right after the sport. So right after the whole one, I never really thought of it like that. But yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of weird as well. It's, it's like, yeah, yeah, we did it. You're fired. Like it's kind of, it's kind of weird that way. It's like we're not bringing you back. Bye. Yeah, it was it was something I I believe I want to say I, I saw it in the uh, the documentary about the the Red Sox, the team that broke the the streak. Um, and they, they had Johnny Damon talking about how like half the dudes were celebrating with the team. Now they're free agents and going on to another team the next year. And it's like, you know, it's a weird feeling because you you finally reach the climax with your team, and now it's like, well. Uh, are you guys sure you want to celebrate? Because you know you got a contract to look forward to next. Well, you'll be celebrating again here real soon, guys. Congrats, double whammy. Or in some of your cases, it was a fun ride. Or it's time to retire. Or go find a new day job or something. Like Take the Miles Jack approach and be an electrician or something. Hey, IBW called him. Um, shout out to the uh, International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. They gave him a call and they're like, "Hey, we'll sign. We'll bring you in." And so. uh um, they 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 did recommend that he joins their apprenticeship program. So we'll see if that actually ever happens. Absolutely. That is a good thing. That is an interesting little nugget for us as well, too. We still got a couple weeks before the Thanksgiving episode, so we won't get too far into those weeds yet. We still got some we still care about it though. Oh, we're still looking forward we, we to don't it. Get Thanksgiving in this in the with his podcast. Oh no, it is marked on the calendar, not just because it's a day off of work, for plenty of other reasons as well, too. But 
We'll get into that in the next, in the oncoming weeks. We got plenty of time, but we're gonna first take a dive into our first segment known as the tip off. The tip off, of course, brought to you by our good friends over at SeatGeek. Use code Belly of Sports, get yourself twenty dollars off your first set of tickets you use as well using that code Belly of Sports once again. So I think we'd be remiss not to mention college football top 25. The rankings are out, the first ones of the season. There's some good, there's some bad, and there's some ugly. I'll just throw in a few, throw in a few highlights as we go through it as well. Right now, Oklahoma sitting at 17th at a 7-2 record. Iowa sitting at 7-2 at 22, working our way up there. Missouri sitting at number 14, a bit of a surprise, even coming off that loss to Georgia, but still still getting a little respect there. Tennessee with 7-2, 13. Louisville at 8-1, sitting at 11. Take a look at some of the top 10. We got Alabama at 8-1, sitting at 8. Oregon at 8-1, sitting at 6. And then five undefeateds start at the top at Ohio State at 1, Georgia at 2. Michigan at three, Florida State at four, and Washington at five. And obviously, we have a lot to talk about those top four, five, six, seven spots. We're not going to start there. We're going to work our way up a little bit as well. We're we're going to we're going to build that way as well. So just in those top from twenty five to you know we'll go twenty five to ten. What are a couple of the teams in there you look at where it's like all right, this one clearly is too high, this one's too low, and where are they at? I love a lot of these rankings. The part I especially love is the fact that Kansas is number sixteen. Obviously, they have beat Oklahoma right behind Oklahoma State, the number three team in the Big 12 right now. Uh, by the way, my, if you guys don't know why I'm excited about that, just because that is my preseason pick for upsetting the Big 12 in the regular season. Um, yeah, I, I I just needed to point that out that, look, hey, this team is there. Um, also, the team I get this most stick for, for picking one game wrong, because the refs didn't give me any, didn't give, didn't give the, the right call to the quarterback that the third string quarterback, by the way. Um, but Tulane, the Green Wave, yet again for another season in the top 25 on, on the initial announcement for the college football rankings. Um, you know, you want to talk about a team that's not in a power five conference that is just they recruit guys out of the power five regions, they make quality teams, they run offenses and defenses like power five teams. Tulane's a team that that people need to watch out for. I know right now they're sitting at 23. There's probably no odds that they ever get into the top 10, but as one of the top non-Power 5 teams, they do get a lot of leeway here. Obviously, you do still have some guys. I, th- I believe Louisville is still out of the – is in the American Conference, if I'm not – if I'm correct. Uh, I'm a- or are they ACC now? I think they're ACC, if I'm not mistaken. In that case, they're the highest-ranked non-Power 5 team. And that's important because Power 5, if they can get in the top 10, can get an automatic bid into a New Year's Day Bowl. Um, so – yeah, I mean, look, that's something to keep an eye out for. Uh, a sneaky team in here as well that I, I'm appreciative of, of Arizona at 21. Um, talk about a team that's kind of upsets a little bit of apple carts there in the Pac-12. Uh, yeah, it's it's been interesting to see. Utah still in the top 20. Um, so quality there. LSU still hanging on by a thread, uh, really by a thread here. But yeah, I, I mean, I look at this and, and the fact that there are, for the first time in what feels like an eternity, Three SEC East teams in the top twenty-five. I know I'm in, I'm going into the top ten here and into the top five, but you know what? I I have to at least call it out because this, I feel like this is the first time that there's been more SEC East teams than SEC West in the top twenty. Um, I'm cutting it off at twenty just because. Well, I guess I shouldn't. It doesn't matter. There's three and three, but it's I mean it's the first time we've seen an even split amongst the SEC teams as far as East to West goes. Um, so yeah, it's interesting to see there. Uh, Diana, Texas is still holding on despite everything this season, but 
yeah, uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, looking at looking at the top from 10 to 25, I mean, those are the big ones I look at. Louisville obviously is a high-quality team. I'm not going to take anything away from them. Oregon State kind of maybe the surprise of the Pac-12 to a lot of people. Um, yeah, I mean, not a lot to hate here. I still hate Notre Dame is, uh, is hanging on now right now, despite the loss to Clemson this last week as well. I guess that's the part that I don't like. Um, so, yeah, I mean... If I'm going to complain about anything, it's probably going to be Notre Dame hanging on at number 20 right now. That's that's the that's maybe the one thing I don't like about the top or from 10 to 25 here. I'm glad that's what you said because that was going to be my first segue into what I disliked about the list so far. Because overall, I think most of the teams are right. You can maybe switch some orders here and there. But overall, I thought they did a pretty decent job in this area. I don't think Notre Dame should be ranked, honestly. I think they're ranked here because of name. But you six and three is not bad. They started ranked was like six or seven to start the year. So obviously, you kind of, you're not, they're not going to. You every good team you've played or every every quality team you've played you've lost. You basically like you're the Dolphins of college football, but with a lot fewer games and a lot more cupcakes. You kind of just bully every bully all the lower teams, but then when you play those tougher teams, you end up losing. Ohio State obviously was razor close by the skin of their teeth, but it's still still in the L column as well. Six, and then you look at some of the teams below them too. North Carolina seven and two. I think you can make make a case they should be higher as well. Your boys in Tulane. Iowa's a surprisingly good seven and two in the Big Ten as well. I think, and the fact that they're close with LSU, who's LSU's played a lot stiffer competition, you can make the case for as well. And I Notre Dame's the one I'm just like, I don't think they should honestly be ranked right now. And I hate that's not even a shot at Notre Dame because I'm not a hater or a lover like some people are. It feels like they're polarizing, but you you've played three. And we're being loose with calling Clemson a good team, honestly. I'm gonna say you played two good teams and a and a well-known team. And you lost all three of them. So, yeah, I, yeah. I love Sam Hartman. I think he's had to done some really good things, but unfortunately, it's coming a little short. And I just don't think Notre Dame should be ranked. I think them getting there is almost out of pure generosity. If I had to nitpick the bottom part of the top twenty-five, yeah, I mean, yeah, I find it odd that there's four teams with three losses, and three of them are grouped in that nineteen to twenty-one range. Mm-hmm. It's LSU, Notre Dame, Arizona, and the last one being Kansas State. Um, look, don't get me wrong. I think Kansas State in the Big 12, because they have an op- outside opportunity to get the 12- Big 12 championship, that's why they're there. But I look at Notre Dame. You've lost three times, and it's not been pretty losses. I mean, yeah, there were some of them were close. But overall, I mean, Clemson, that was like, come on, guys. Really? Can't lose that one the way you did. Yeah. I, I mean, Arizona, look, again, have an outside shot at the Pac-12 because of who they've beaten is why they have an outside shot at the Pac-12 championship here. LSU also outside shot of the SEC West because of who they've beaten or because they have who they still have to play, I should say. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't like I don't like the t- the fact that there's an eight and one Tulane. I'm going to bring them back up again. Seven and two Iowa, seven and two North Carolina that are behind three teams with three losses. I feel like this again. This goes back to the, maybe the old BCS standard. I guess I don't know why, but. I keep looking at teams with three losses, and I'm like, they're not that much better. Like, yeah, LSU has opportunities to be better than teams, but have they put it together? No. Notre Dame can't win the big one. I mean, they're kind of like Oklahoma under Bob Stoops right now. And then Arizona, they're upsetting teams, but they're not winning the easy games, and it which is the confusing part of all of this. So I don't – I mean, it's – Arizona to me should be a fringe top 25 team for sure. I mean, sure, they deserve to be ranked because of who they've beaten, but then like – on the flip side of things, like, yeah, uh, maybe not. <laughs> you know, them and Notre Dame maybe just kick them out. But then again, I don't know who to replace them with. That's the other thing. I don't know who I would slide in to the top 25 from that situation. There's a couple teams that maybe come to mind, but nothing that's, like, substantial. 
When you look at Notre Dame, their best win on the season was what they did to USC, who is now not even ranked because they have plummeted because un- yeah. they did. What a what a what a unfortunate season for USC, who had was top five, I think it was five, six, seven, somewhere in their start of the season. Yeah. And boy, have they plummeted in a year when the Pac-12 was the best it's been in a very very long time. Like I think we're going back to like maybe like Matt Leinart or Matt Barkley back in those days when the Pac-12 was good, or something like that. Like it has not been this deep. And of course, the favorite has is completely unranked, and the team that won the conference last year is barely hanging on there at that 18 spot as well, 7-2. and two. So very interesting in the Pac-12. The other one I'm going to point out, too, that I think is kind of funny is Oklahoma sitting there at 17. 7-2, seven and two, you say this before the season, they'll take that because Oklahoma's probably expected to stink this year. But the way they got here is what really got you got to imagine Oklahoma fans are just pissy how it got here, though, because you got up to rank like 6 or 7, something like that. Like You were cooking front runners of the Big 12. Then you dropped was a 2 of the last three. With what with those both being very, very should be winnable games as well, too. Games you should or are expected to win. The Texas one, you get Texas win. That's the one you're expected to lose. And then you lose these two they're expected to win. It's new coach, different chapter with Oklahoma. You lose games that you really need to, that you need to win. So still have an outside shot at the Big 12, but it's it's amazing the roller coaster of how they got here. And then the last one I'll point out at is Louisville as well, too. Louisville is very interesting. So when you think about the times they've been good in our life, Brian Braum. Really good college quarterback. Obviously didn't translate very well. Lamar Jackson, enough said. Teddy Bridgewater, out, really good college quarterback and pretty good NFL quarterback. This year for Louisville, they don't necessarily have a guy that stands out like that. They're obviously good. I don't know if he's quite in that category of those guys yet, though. Like he does. I don't know if he's quite there yet. So it was very interesting to see Louisville breaking a trend but still finding themselves ranked number one. That's fair. Uh, I mean, like you got you got a starting quarterback here with with uh, what is it? Um, lineage i should say um as far as quarterback lineage goes he's jack Plummer, so jake Plummer's son um you know it, there's there's a little bit of lineage we're not talking about the, one of the greatest ever nfl quarterbacks by any means or even a great college quarterback jake Plummer was neither of those things but it does add a little something to the way they play and i think you're seeing that with louisville he's not always perfect by any means far from it but he is out there putting his like literally his life on the line every play it feels like like he, he'll do whatever it takes to get the first down whereas you've seen sometimes with sam hartman even caleb williams a degree third and ten they're scrambling they get to nine yards and they're like oh i could get that tenth yard and then instead they're just sliding and you know with the new rules you're down where you, you start sliding and then there's like not a quarterback sneak after that whereas with Plummer, it's like oh he's at the nine nine yard mark he's going for the 10 he's gonna get you 12 like he's gonna drop the shoulder lay, low, lower the boom which is good and it's bad um, cam rising can attest to that but, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it, I mean, I think Louisville is a, is a dark horse there, especially for the ACC. Uh, Florida State needs to be careful um, because that is a team that when you get into the ACC championship game could cause a little bit of problems there uh, for sure. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely look at that one. And, by the way, I was looking at the rest of the, the rankings in the AP, and I missed – I feel bad that I missed this team, but I missed one of these teams, and that is James Madison, uh, which – one of the more impressive teams this season, overall nine and zero, like as a big as, as a power as a non power five team, uh, maybe should be ranked in the top twenty five here, maybe over Notre Dame. Take out Notre Dame and put James Madison at like 24, 25 Then I mean, I don't see a problem there. Yeah. I mean, just throwing it out there, just ideas here, guys. Just definitely not. I'm not arguing here as well. To definitely get a little bit of love to James Madison, they've they've worked their way up here to say the least. But 
Yeah. Now we're going to get into the fun part and get into the top 10 where 50% of it is sitting at undefeated 9-0, and where the other 50% is at 8-1. and I'm just going to start at the top, the top four or five. It's close, but no cigars, how I like it. It's how I'm going to describe it. I'll just go through it. Ohio State, really, really good. Big win against Penn State. Less of a great win against Notre Dame, but still win. And then a win against an underrated Rutgers team, too. Like, not, not a great win by any means, but still a win. Georgia, obviously defending champs. You just beat Missouri, too, in the SEC. They've done nothing to lose their top couple, be in that top spot as well. Michigan, I, this is the one I have trouble with because I feel like they've just been cupcake crushers so far this season. Their season starts this week when they play Penn State. For Florida State, they that big win over LSU to kickstart the season basically propelled them up here, and they've done nothing to really slack off. They've had some unnecessarily close games here and there, but they've just – They've held true since that. They started off strong in a plateaued sense. Washington bringing up the rear at number five. I disagree with the top five personally. If I'm going to re-rank them, I'm just going to go ahead and re-rank them quickly, and then we'll go through the rest of it. Number one, I'm, stick, I'm sticking with Georgia at number one right now. I don't think they've done anything to quite lose it yet, so I'm going to stick Georgia at one. I'm personally going to go – I'm going to go ahead and put – I'm going to put UW at number two. I'm going to climb them up quite a bit. I then say University of Washington gets number two. You have arguably the Heisman Trophy frontrunner. Mm-hmm. You have multiple big – you have arguably the biggest win of the season when you go beating Oregon in the way that you did as well. So who was ranked ahead of you? Number five, I believe, was Oregon mm-hmm. five or six, maybe a six or seven, something like that. They have, a major, they have a major top ten win, who, if you look at it, is the number one ranked not undefeated team right now. So obviously that should be a big feather in your cap. That's better than anyone else in the top ten has. You have – obviously you have the win over USC recently as well too, which kind of – Takes a little bit of the wind out of the sails, but it still counts there as well, too. So, and you look at who Oregon has beat, they beat Utah and other teams, too. And we kind of agree this year the Pac 12 is probably the best conference so far. If not the best, it's hard to make too many arguments as well. So, being the best at the top of arguably the most competitive conference, at least, and having the biggest win in that top 10 over a the best ranked, not undefeated team, I think should propel them up to number two. Number three, Ohio State. You beat Penn State, Notre Dame. We just kind of talked about it. they deserve that spot. Then, then at number four, I'm still going to say Florida State can get. You have that big win over LSU. After that, it's plateaued a little bit. You beat some. You beat some other good teams here and there. But Michigan's been cupcake crushing. They should not be in the top three or four. They should be sitting at five. Their season starts this week. If they smash Penn State, by all means, find a way to pop them back up there. We're not. I'm not even going to get into the allegations or the stallions or anything weird like that. I'll leave that to the side for now. Who has Michigan played that's of noteworthy so far this year? Maybe I am missing something, but I don't think Michigan has played anyone of majorly noteworthy. I don't think it's necessarily a noteworthy situation. I think it's the like opponent situation. Um, as if you compare how they competed against like opponents, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, getting into the top four for me, I mean, I think the big miss here is Ohio State at number one. I don't think they deserve to be number one. Uh, do they deserve to be top five? Sure, absolutely. Number one, no. There should only be one Big Twi- Big Ten team here in the top four. Uh, in my opinion, I think Washington deserves a uh, deserves a spot here. Um, we shouldn't be giving an outside shot to see two Big Ten teams in the in in the um, playoffs again. They, they don't deserve it right now. They're they are there. There's two teams, and then in the rest of the conference, you maybe can give you Penn State a, a you know two B uh, if you will. But I, I mean, realistically, you have Ohio State. It's going to come down to Ohio State, Michigan. Obviously, uh, you look at like opponents though. Um, let's just start with Ohio State. Indiana, they won 20 to 23 to 3. Michigan, they beat Indiana 52 to 7. Uh, Maryland, 37 to 17 for Ohio State. Maryland for Michigan, 
They haven't played yet. Oh, they haven't played them. They played them two weeks. So um, let's see. Purdue forty-one to seven for Ohio State, their biggest win on the of, of the season. Forty-one to thirteen for for Michigan. So I mean, kind of cutting cutting it close there. Uh, Rutgers, we just talked about that. They went into halftime down to Rutgers. By the way, Michigan won thirty-one to seven. Never even an opportunity uh, there for like, against Michigan for for Rutgers. And yeah, I mean, there's a couple of like opponents still left to play, but they obviously have the big game at the end of the season, uh, and that one's up in Michigan this year. So. That does decide a few things. Obviously, Michigan, Ohio State has the advantage of playing that Notre Dame team. Barely beat them, though. I'm not. We're not talking by a lot. Barely beat Penn State. It's to me. It's nothing about Ohio State is convincing me that they're a top four team. Nothing about Michigan really convinces me they're a top three team. But I think they're a top four team. I mean, I think Michigan right now should have a four a four spot on their net on their name. But I don't think Ohio State should have a one. If that makes sense, like I don't feel like they're the leaders in the pack, if you will. I feel like the leaders in the pack are Michigan, just based off of what they've done this season. Yeah, sure, it's against a bunch of no names, but that's their conference. Their conference is, I mean, they're about to have forty teams in this conference, and it's still going to be a four-team conference. So it's you know it's it's kind of insane that it, it shook out this way for Michigan. Now they have three teams here remaining in the schedule, and it's two top ten teams and a Maryland who is a dangerous team. Nobody really wants to play uh, Talia Tagovailoa right now. Um, but unfortunately, that's that's the way it draws out. Ohio State, on the other hand, Michigan State, Minnesota, and then they play Michigan. Like, they have one bad game in the next three. So it kind of works its works way out there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, those two I don't like. Ohio State at one. Uh, to me, it's a coin flip for four for them. I think it should be Georgia at one. Uh, I'd agree, and I'd say Washington either at two. Or maybe because because Florida State had that big win over LSU at the beginning of the season, maybe give Florida State that that two seed and give Washington the three. Mostly because Washington, I don't know, maybe there's there's an outside shot of Oregon taking that spot, so maybe you get, you allow that opportunity. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think it should go Georgia number one, number two. I'm fine with with Washington. Number three should be Florida State if that's if you know two is going to be Washington. Four, I'd say. Yeah, okay. Michigan, Ohio State, whichever one you want to pick there, that's fine with me. Uh, if you pick Ohio State because of the win on Notre Dame, I get that. It's acceptable. Top 20 team there. That's fine. Makes sense. The win over Penn State, top 10 team. Okay, cool. Ohio State at four. Number five, I'm going to say Oregon. I'm going to shake it up a little bit. I think a one-loss team should be there. Uh, I think Oregon is a much better team than either Michigan or Ohio State. I think they're a more complete team than either one of those two teams. They have a better quarterback than either one of those two teams. Not close either. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about J.J. McCarthy, but I mean, ugh. we're talking Heisman front runner here. I mean, Blake Corum is the Heisman front runner for Michigan. It's not McCarthy. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> it is the running back tandem of McCorum, uh, of Corum and and uh, Edwards. Uh, that's just what Michigan runs off of. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I shake it up and say five should be Oregon, six should be Michigan in that case. If I put Ohio State at four, and then the rest of the top ten, I'm fine with the way the way they are. I mean. Texas, Bama, Ole Miss, that's, I mean, Bama, Ole Miss can change with that game coming up. So that's, you know, situation. Penn State with them at 10, it gives them the opportunity if they beat Michigan to squeeze up into that top five and then, hey, they go to the the Big Ten championship game potentially. So, I mean, that's, that's always a possibility. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I think close but no cigar is a good way to put it. I just don't think at the end of the day, like, I don't like having two Big Ten teams. I think, if anything, there should be two Pac-12 teams, and maybe that's blasphemous for me to say, considering how much crap I've talked on the Pac-12 all offseason 
and me saying, oh, yeah, you know, you're going to have a uh, prime time come in, come in, come into Colorado and he's going to win seven games. Well, by the way, he might still win seven games. Um, but you know what? More importantly, that conference is not easy. And, it, you know, I said Bo Nix is my dark horse for making it to to uh, New York. Uh, actually, no, I think that was my bold prediction was he will be a, a, a representative in New York for the Heisman Trophy. That's on the possibility. We talked about, you know, Oregon-Washington, the winner of that game, or Oregon-Washington-USC, the winner of those trio of games, should have the Heisman frontrunner. I believe Michael Penix is the Heisman frontrunner right now. Um, yeah, I mean, what the Pac-12 is doing offensively is unmatched by any conference, and defensively, you know what? It's good enough. Good. At the end of the day, it's good enough. I mean, really. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't like the Big Ten having – like I said, I was just saying by this. I don't like the Big Ten having two teams. I don't like one of them being a number one team. I think number four for the top Big Ten team is acceptable. The second Big Ten team goes to number six. You should have a Pac-12 representative, or well, SEC, Pac-12, ACC, Big Ten. That should be the top four. I mean, in that order, whoever you and the reason I'm saying it that way is because honestly, in the Big Ten, I don't care who you rank in front of whether it's Ohio State or Michigan. One of them should go there. But it's really up to your own personal preference. I'd say Ohio State maybe has the credentials, even though I don't like their close wins. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's there's a lot to question about this, really. I I'm gonna say I feel like it should be. I I don't mind putting Michigan even Oregon above Michigan. I do think Ohio State has to get the nod over them as well too because of that Penn State win alone as well. That's yeah. Michigan plays Penn State this week. That could change. Maybe they beat the piss out of Penn State. Then it's immediately like, nope. Okay, Michigan passes them real quickly. Like it could change. It changes this week one way or the other. I'm just saying as of today, right now, I'm gonna I'm gonna give Ohio State the nod. You can even convince me to put them at three. You probably won't. I like that four personally, but depending on. I still think U Dub's got to get a little more respect for now. Georgia, they're fine. They're gonna, they're one or two. They're gonna be that way. They're gonna end up in the playoff, barring a collapse, basically, or losing the SEC championship game humiliatingly. Florida State, I maybe Louisville can surprise them, but I just I don't see anyone in the ACC slowing them down as well. Too, I think they they'll have to trip over their own their own face, which they've almost done a couple of times, but they find a way through it. I would, I agree with you. I would rather rather see Michigan below Oregon personally right now because Oregon also has played. Their one loss is to a team better than any one Michigan's going to play besides maybe top five teams. Exactly. Should, in our opinion, should be two or three. Yeah. And that's how good they are as well. I, I and it breaks team, off of Utah as well, too. Yeah. I mean, that's really another top game. 20 team still. And well, when they played Colorado as well, that was a top 20 team, top 25 team as well. So exactly. like they have and, a much deeper resume and that much better credentials in a much better conference this year. As weird as it is to say the Pac 12, a better conference at any point right now. You mentioned the Big Ten's about to be the Big 50. And it still won't really matter. Yeah, I mean, and, and realistically, here's the crazy thing about Washington. And and before I get into my point about Ohio State, Michigan, um, actually, before I do that, let me get into my point about Ohio State, Michigan. I believe if Ohio State is your second team in the Big Ten, they do deserve to be ahead of Oregon. But I don't think Michigan deserves to be ahead of Oregon. So there's a weird mixed match conversation there to be had. It can be convinced either way, but it has to. But if it goes this way, it has to follow these parameters. Right, exactly. Yeah, if you're going to put Ohio State at the number two team in the Big Ten, then they go in front of, then they go at five and then Oregon at six. But otherwise, if it's Michigan, Michigan goes at six over Oregon at five. But to my point about Washington here, um, they just have an opportunity to be even more powerful in the college football rankings. Their next game, Utah. Should be a, a dub. AP ranked 13th Utah. Uh, college football ranked 18th Utah. Um, yeah, could be a dub there. And then 
Oregon State at number 12 the week after. That's a tough game. Oh, and by the way, they still finished out their season in the Apple Cup with Washington State. And so, by the way, one of the better rivalries anybody that nobody ever talks about, in my opinion, Washington, Washington State. But I think that's a team that was just ranked in the top 25, just got upset by Arizona, which is why Arizona's in the top 25 to begin with. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's you look at that, and that's that's another team that has a guy that's at quarterback that causes a lot of problems for teams. And and so that could be something that the that the Huskies have to worry about. But if Washington can get through all three of those games unscathed, that's that's a team that deserves to be number two. Guaranteed. Like there should be no question that team is number two. I don't care what Ohio State and Michigan do. That team should be number two. And my issue with putting Ohio State at one is that if Ohio State wins out, they're not gonna move. And that's what bothers me is Ohio State could move up. That, that to me, Ohio State deserves the opportunity to move up. Ohio State does not deserve the opportunity to not be moved down, though, because we've seen it every year. Somebody always jumps a team that they probably shouldn't in the top four, uh, and you know changes up the playoff matchups. For in Georgia's case, it's actually helped them both times they've been jumped. But at the same time, it doesn't make it okay. I don't want to see an Ohio State team who squeaks by the next three opponents, even though they should blow out two of the three opponents, still stay at number one. And that's so that would include a win over Michigan, but Georgia goes and blows out everybody they're about to play. They win the SEC championship game. Washington blows out everybody they're about to play, win the Pac-12. It doesn't matter because that now you're looking at a 2-3 matchup between Georgia and Washington. And to me, I think we're robbing ourselves of an opportunity to see that the two best teams in the championship game. And by the way, I'm leaving out Florida State of this, who I think is one of the more powerful teams in the country as well, as long as you know they don't trip over themselves, as you pointed, you pointed out. Um, no wide rights, please. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, you know th- that's what that's what my problem with Ohio State at one is, is there's no chance to drop them, even though they should have every opportunity to drop or rise. I mean, I think that that should be deserving of all teams there. But I think what Washington's put on the board should be enough to have them at number two. Again, still the opportunity to rise. And then with Georgia, we didn't really talk about them, but here's the fact of Georgia. They're still the reigning champions, and they're still undefeated. Give them their cookie. And just got that top 15, top 12 win over Missouri to add on top of it. So you got a little bit of a resume booster there, too. And Florida earlier this season. And Florida as well, too. But, and you got some you got some more games coming up, too, and could finish out the SEC, you'd imagine. But what's fun about this, looking at this, rounding out the top, rounding out the college football top 25, Let's say everything kind of holds true to how we expect and we get the rankings we want for the final four at the end of it all. That means you're going to possibly see Oregon versus Michigan in the Rose Bowl. You'll have like maybe even a Texas and Alabama rematch in a New York, New York six game as well. Penn State and Louisville can be involved. Ole Miss like there are going to be some really fun bowl matchups looking at it right now as well. So I hope it goes our way. I hope we get our way because I want those college football playoff games plus those other New Year's six bowls games looking really fun. Yeah, you know, that's I think that's that's one underrated part of this entire college football playoff is the New York Six Bowls. I feel like they get washed out in this mix-up um, because, obviously, we're all paying attention to the playoff games. Look, we both love the, the New York I'm not going to lie about that. We both sat there and watched all the games last year um, because they lead up, obviously, to the college football playoff games. But the point being here, I feel like they get laid out as a front, you know, as the, the lead-off to, to something and not the... They're what the used to be pantheon of their own main event yeah like really they used to be the pantheon of, of bowl games back in the i mean less than seven years ago eight years ago so i mean yeah it's it's kind of tough that you look at them now and it's like oh they're not as much as they, they should be and i think that's that's something that if the college football playoff obviously when they expand when they get their expansion plans figured out 
um, because we know it's happening. We just don't know what's happening. Um, I do hope they bring more importance to the the New York Six Bowls because those they deserve it. I mean, realistically, those those bowl games. I mean, talk about the Rose Bowl, man. That that thing. The granddaddy of them all. Yeah, I mean, make that mom, a playoff game. Just make it a playoff game, honestly. Yeah, growing up, so my mom had a had a you know I think her high school got to march in the Rose Parade um, okay. for that, and so she has like this entire you know book in this picture frame and everything it's beautiful pictures it's absolutely awesome and it's something she speaks fondly of and it's like that's something that a lot of kids nowadays don't get the same chance to speak about because of it not having the same importance somehow they should just make those new Year's six bowl games like the rose bowl they should make them different playoff games as well too something like like this six versus this four versus seven matchup or however it plays out in, in the Rose Bowl, whatever is like, and then change the seating. So one year, the Rose Bowl is the national championship. Next year, it's one versus eight in the first round or however you got to do it. Just fight that way. You can keep them all the naming rights, all the advertisement rights, all the, the same feelings, those type of memories, but then you still get the playoff on top of it as well. There's a way to make it work. It won't be the I mean, same. They but technically do that. Like technically you do get the Verbo playoff semifinal. And you do get the Cotton Bowl semifinal and the Orange Bowl championship game, but the Capital One championship game, you get those, but you don't get those in the same vein. Like the BCS championship game, I actually kind of had a really great idea with that. They would rotate the four, I mean, every year. And that was really worked out for your sponsors, but also for, you know, players trying to go and live up some of their some of these games so it was really cool and that's kind of what i was trying to get out with the college football club he's like rotate yeah. which one has the natty which one has like yeah that sort of thing yeah i mean it definitely should happen i, I, I don't disagree. it won't because we want it but it just like we've been waiting be for how, right it just like how we've waiting eight years for a college football team that's more than four teams that people pull out of a hat the yeah, only good, the best thing that's coming out of it is we got to see what would soon be rookie of the year cj stroud and it play his best college football game ever that and you know that's a part of this whole conversation that we didn't even touch on no matter what, if you look at the top eight teams, there's not a single one of those teams that has not been in the college football playoff yet, except for Texas. That's true. Yeah. Didn't even top think about 10, that. then you have Ole Miss, Texas, and Penn State. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> you still have the top four have all been in the playoffs. Five and six have all been in the playoffs. Eight has been in the playoffs. A lot. Yeah. So kind of wild to think about. That is definitely wild as well. So, you know, definitely something to keep an eye on. And I'm really curious to see if our rankings are shaking up next week as well, too. We'll have to keep an eye because there are some pretty interesting games coming up this week or like one or two. But we'll we'll keep our eye on those as well, too, and see how they change things. But that's going to do it for this extremely long tip-off for us. That's now going to cruise us right into Kelsey's second favorite part of every show, and that is, of course, the main event. And for the main event, we're talking highs and we're talking lows. And to have a little bit of fun today, we're going to mix up the order a little bit. So I'm going to start with the highs. Then Kelsey's going to go into the lows. And then following that, Kelsey's going to do his highs. Then I'm going to do my lows as well. So we're going to get a little bit side by side so we don't go high, high, low, low. So I'll go ahead and start things off for us. First high I'm going to go for, I'm going to start in the NFL. I'm going to look at – I'm going to actually take a slight turn here. I'm going to I'm gonna say NFL defenses. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be pretty high on the overall NFL defensive product this year so far. One thing we've talked about is who is the MVP this year? Like looking at it, it's a complete wash. It's like offense player of the year. Well, there's probably like three guys you're looking at, arguably two receivers and a running back, because you're, unless you're throwing in quarterbacks, but it's kind of a, it's kind of an interesting wash there as well too. It's not like a litany of nine guys. That's part of that because NFL defenses have really, really found a way to 
with the exception of Denver against Miami, obviously. There's some anomalies here and there. But overall, as a whole, scoring, it feels like it is down, or at least offensive scoring seems to be down. Defensive, we look at the Browns' defense. They're on a historic pace that that outpaces the 2,000 Ravens as far as yardage goes, which is absolutely ridiculous. And then there's the Ravens' defense this year, who's not that far behind them. There's the Jets with Zach Wilson, who are at 500 because of their defense. There's just a lot. Even the Chiefs defense, I can't overlook them too. They are a top three defense as well. Who would have thought, right? But just like I'm going to give NFL defense a lot of credit. They found a way in, with all these young, explosive quarterbacks, receivers, running backs. The, the game is built to score points, and defenses have found a way to scheme and mitigate them by taking away these deep shot plays. A lot of the two high looks and then the rotations, the post-snap reads, they've, they've tried to basically force these guys to nickel and dime their way down, which I think has seen. We've seen Josh Allen implode because that's in some games because that is not what he does very well. He's not a nickel and time guy. He's a greedy son of a gun, and he can't help it. He has too much Brett Favre in him. I think that's why Joe Burrow has found his rhythm because he is not a greedy you-know-what. He will one, two, three, and that ball will fly out of his hands, and he will do that all day if he has to. Occasionally, he'll get greedy and throw up the T or Jamar, but for the most part, he will Tom Brady it. We've seen Patty cut. He did it last year when he won MVP. He, he adjusted and was able – he had the – I think it was like the fourth lowest average depth of target or something ridiculous last year. This year they've taken that away, but he doesn't have the deep shots available either because they basically said, look here, Mr. Swift, Mr. Taylor Swift, you're not getting the ball. And then they could not, he hasn't been able to adjust to that. So I'm going to give NFL defenses a lot of credit. They have found a way in the age of offense, quote unquote, to scheme up a lot of things to mitigate some of these high offensive outputs. There's still some here and there, but it's not like a consistent weekly basis where you see someone score 40 like it was the previous couple of years. I mean, the highest score, the most consistent high scoring team is the Colts, who are, have 20 points in every game, and they have Joe Dirt and Uncle Rico at quarterback. And I've had a rotating carousel of running back, the second leading rusher who's the in the entire league, who's the backup. And they have no their number one receiver is one of the most targeted, but I, he's not even in the top 15 in yards, I believe. Like, so it's very interesting how defenses have found a way to counteract offenses, at least this part through the season, excluding Denver's BS against Miami. Okay. All right, fair enough. I say that, and we're going to see four 40-point games this week. I completely jinxed it, but you know what? So far, i got to give him a tip of the cap. I wasn't going to say it, but yeah, you probably probably will see a bunch of 40-pointers this week. I've spoken into existence. And I'm saying just – I know some of them do have those high-scoring ones, but that does include defensive touchdowns and those turnovers in the short fields as well. But when we like the eye test, like we, we saw, honestly, with Kansas City against Miami, they – they stalled. They scored that late defensive touchdown to win the game, basically, and they held Miami in check. We saw what Denver did to Kansas City two weeks ago. My God, I never thought that would happen. We've seen what the Bills did to the Dolphins. We've seen what the Jets did to the Eagles, and I'm just picking. You can go down the list. There's a bunch. Obviously, we had the Cowboys and the Eagles. That was not a whole lot of defense, so there's the anomaly right there. But every week, you can see different these just various defensive performances, what the Browns have done on multiple occasions, my goodness, to just about everybody besides the Ravens and the Colts, weirdly enough. Dodge defenses as a whole, they have found a way to schematically and personnel wise mitigate some of the ridiculousness. It's not turf basketball this year. They found a way to mitigate the turf basketball that we were on pace for. And despite all those penalties we see because year of the ref. Oh God, don't even get me started on that. I could make that another low for this week, but I'm not, I'm not going to. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, that's your first high. I'm going to go ahead and jump in with my first low here. Um, I'm going to NFL, but I'm going injuries. Um, and it's more importantly, the rise of Achilles injuries. We didn't talk about this last week, but I, I kind of wanted to touch on it. Looking at the NFL injury report right now, just si- searching the word Achilles, 
gives you 15 occasions, 15 injury designations relating to an Achilles injury in the NFL. Guys such as J.K. Dobbins, Tredavious White, uh, Tim Patrick. You have Dallas Flowers, Ventral Miller. Cam Akers is one of the most recent. Kirk Cousins, Eno Benjamin, Aaron Rodgers, obviously, Elijah Vera Tucker. Guys you've never heard of before. Um, and it's it's <laughs> top to bottom, it makes you question a lot of things. Uh, but most importantly, how are these injuries causing? We had so many years of knee injuries, right? Major knee injuries. What about the Achilles injuries here? Because for Cam Akers, this is his second Achilles injury. Kirk Cousins, his Achilles injury, I mean, that's a wild injury. Uh, you know, that the way that one occurred, it didn't seem like it. Aaron Rodgers, just keeping himself up and, and standing, blew his Achilles out. What are causing these explosive players to lose the Achilles at such a high rate? Uh, it's it's a huge question here. It's something that NFL players or NFL you know staffs, especially uh, training staffs, need to look at. Is there a way to stretch that out? Is there a way to prevent this in the future? Or is our players not stretching properly? What are what is the issue here that's causing all of these injuries? Because not just from a fantasy football standpoint or a betting standpoint, but from the fact that now the NFL has partners that are fantasy football and betting, and they have to void out bets. And void out fantasy football events for t for for players or you know individuals who choose these players on their team and have these injuries occur during the game, meaning that their partners lose money due to these injuries. And at the end of the day, we all know the NFL is a money game, so they're trying to figure out what can we do here to prevent these injuries in, in the future. And it starts to come back to the field turf again. Uh, you know, you saw a couple reports here recently this last week come back out about the field turf issue again, and it makes you. Again, start to question: Are these the reasons why we're going to see so we've seen so many growing Achilles injuries? Are the athletes just too explosive now? There's a lot of questions about this, but it's something that's a rising concern, and that's why it's a low for me. Is there's 15 players currently on the injury designation with torn Achilles? Torn Achilles. That's just I've never seen a season in which so many players have had this injury. At such a high rate, we're talking about six guys that I named that are regular names that are could have had an, had an opportunity at first or second team NFL rankings at the end of the year. On top of that, too, it's fun. The Achilles used to be basically career-ender. I remember when we talked about Dominique Wilkins was like the first major athlete to tear his Achilles and come back from it and actually be productive as well. What's also notable that you might point out, there's a lot of multiple-time offenders of the Achilles injury, multiple-time mm-hmm. sufferers. Tredavious White is one of them as well. Cam Akers as well. I think J.K. Dobbins had an ACL the last year, so not quite, but it's still lower lower leg injury. So it's all part it's, of the, the system. It's it's something to keep an eye on as well, too. And especially with a lot of the talk of is Aaron Rodgers going to come back? He's throwing fifty yard bombs in pregame and doing the step drops. Is there a cost to that? Like, what does it cost if it's going to be the case? Like, I wonder. ACLs they've they haven't found a way to slow them down, but they found a way to recover faster. I wonder if they mm-hmm. have found something that with the Achilles. We know the Cam Akers story a couple of years ago. But at what cost at the same time? Is there a way to prevent it? Like imagine with the stretching or anything like that. So I think that's that's the next big field to tackle for sports science as well, taking a look at the Achilles and see what you could do with that. Cause like you mentioned, that that used to just be the career ending injury you see every once in a blue moon, it felt like, and now it almost mm-hmm. feels like a weekly occurrence. Yeah, it really is. I mean, and uh, look, maybe it's because now you have to be more specific on the injury report, especially with the Achilles, it's actually separated in the bargaining in the CBA. So like the, the you can't just give a leg injury for the Achilles. It's it's classified as its own little injury designation along with ankle, 
So ankle injuries, foot injuries, Achilles. You can have a leg or calf injury, so that could be classified as either, and that can go for a strain in the hamstring or strain in the quad as well. can be classified as just a leg injury. But knee injuries also have to be specifically designated as well due to the high number of them. Um, but then you have the upper body. It's like you could literally have upper body, uh, and, and it means anything in the torso. And then you have arms uh, down to wrist is specified or shoulder is specified for quarterbacks. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's like it's it's crazy maybe because it's more hyper specific in the in in the in the wording, but it doesn't seem like I've ever seen this many. And again, I'm gonna say it again to this many high profile players. Like it's just crazy to me. It is absolutely it's something we definitely gotta keep it on. Hopefully, sports doctors and scientists find a way to maybe mitigate the problem before. But we'll see. They get paid the big bucks to figure that out. I don't know the answer. Hopefully, they do. But we'll go now into my second high. I'm gonna keep this one short and sweet and to the point. I kind of like this NBA in-season tournament. I'm not going to lie. It's been pretty fun. We saw out of the gate Steph Curry yelling like in-season tournament after hyped for that win, that big win they got early on. Saw the Mavericks and the Nuggets going head-to-head. I know it's just kind of for money, and it's like it's literally the top prizes for his money's sake. I know maybe getting like a playoff seating or a guaranteed playoff spot might be a little more incentive. Maybe the ad crank it up to notch. You're never going to get 100% like you do in the NFL or college football because 82 games. And on top of that, each playoff round is seven games. So you just have to get there. And you can have three bad nights as long as you have four good nights. And if you want to make them count more, you maybe make the playoffs up until the finals best of three. That way you have to be a little more on your P's and Q's and you want to get those easy matchups early on. But I digress. That's a whole other conversation. But as far as trying to address it in a way that makes practical sense without flipping everything on its head, this in-season tournament has been kind of fun. I, I honestly thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope it hope it continues because basketball has been pretty fun to start with so far. It feels like we'll see as it continues. It's still early in the season. I would have put the in-season tournament in January or December as opposed to right away in October, November. But so far, it's off to a fun start. I don't hate it right now. Maybe I'll hate it in 10 minutes, but I, so far, I don't mind it. Hey, I mean, it's, it's been fun. It's yeah. an idea, at least. At least they're trying something. It's been been all right. As a Kings fan, I'm just going, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I'm actually, you know what? My, my low is going to play off this a little <laughs> bit here. Uh, and I'm going with the courts uh, used in the play-in or in-season tournament, whatever you want to call it. Um, there's various things that I have a problem with the courts on, whether it be the Atlanta Hawks, their, their, their fonts, again, not matching with the jerseys. That still bothers the hell out of me. Uh, Cavaliers, same concept. Their, their fonts in the, on the court, not the one in the center court, but the ones along the edges of the courts do not match the rest of it. Do not match the theme. Like there are so many issues I have with that. But on top of that, the colors are some of the worst combinations I have ever seen together. Some of these look goofy, like uh, straight up just silly. Um, Indianapolis, I you know I was kind of excited for this one, and I'm just like I I don't like it. Seeing the court in, in person, it looks stupid. It looked like the dumbest clown court I've ever seen in my life. And mind you, I'm excited about a lot of things when it's different, unique. You're changing up something for the first time. I think some of those things can be done really well and really creatively. I feel like doing the same exact court design on every single court where you have the strip of 16 feet in the middle. They call it a runway along, along the whole court of an of a contrasting color from the exterior. It doesn't work for every court. The Miami Heat's red was so egregiously bright red, I could barely stare at it on the screen. It did not. It looked like, you know, in the pregame when they lighted up with the neon lights, 
that's what it looked like but it was the entire game and then there's did the strip in the middle that is gray and you're like oh well that's kind of stupid did they spill something there now the bucks court on the other hand which has a natural exterior with a green mint green middle actually looked really good you know the the, the hornets for that reason same thing the uh minnesota timberwolves looked the same way the pelicans purple and green though no that was mm-mm sorry uh there's a lot of issues i have and then one of my favorite things to come out of this entire situation and this one makes me laugh because of just how silly it is and how upset fans are over any little egregious commentary here um it jj reddick when seeing the clips court uh if you haven't seen it it's if you guys don't know how these courts are laid out like i said there's a 16 foot strip that runs baseline to baseline through the the center of the court um, the width of the the width of the, with the lane, it's an alternating color from the exterior. For the Clippers, that outside color is a dark blue, and then inside it's a lighter blue. With or sorry, it's a light blue on the outside. It's a dark blue in the middle, and it has clips written in the old school San Diego Clippers design. But behind it and in the lanes, there's a silhouette of the cup given out, the NBA cup that they're going to give out in the tournament. And JJ Redick, being the guy he is, says, "Huh." Why is there a cup or a trophy on the Clippers arena? They've never won anything like that. Mind you, guy spent four years of his career in LA. He can make this joke. He's been a part of it. He's part of the problem. He's, you know, he accepts that. He hates it. It, it literally lives with him. He, he talked about how it, it's just like ingrained in the soul as one of his worst situations he's ever been in. So a guy like that should be able to make this joke. Man, at the number of fans that were just so upset saying, oh, he's a has-been, he's a scrub, he's this, he's that. Like, guys... Let it be a joke. But, I mean, in the same manner, I agree. Why is there an ugly cup in the middle of my court? I don't like it. Like, you have three of them on there. I, I, You know, it's okay if it's in the lanes. It's okay if it's in the center. But it's not okay if it's in both. It's too much of a good thing. Just stop it. Don't try too hard. It's like the NBA Finals. Sometimes they try too hard on these designs, and they go wrong. And this is exactly the situation here. I think if you if they had just done the strip in the center as a color, and then each lane has the alternating has the 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 clash color and the exterior is all natural wood so that way you still have the parquet in 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 Boston on the exterior and you have the strip of green running in the middle that would be sick like that would be so cool and then you have a trophy in each lane like that would be okay super awesome i'd i'd love that to death but the way they do it like for the jazz i mean it's literally a whole court of purple and lilac Yes, I said lilac. I literally pulled out my color wheel to make sure I, I picked the right color here. It is lilac. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's not lilac, but it looks lilac according to the pictures. Um, yeah, it's. I'm. I, I don't. Yeah, I, I could rip this apart for for days, but it's, yeah, it's so bad, dude. I, I like. I wanted to. I, I tried to give this one so much, so much leeway, and I just I couldn't do it. I like. I tried to watch the games, and I'm just. I, I couldn't watch the games. It was so so bad to look at these courts. It's just absolutely miserable. It's an it's an eyesore and a half as well, too, which is a shame because I feel like the idea was great. But you know what? Maybe next year they will build on it. But now we're going to go ahead and swap roles here a little bit where we're going to have Kelsey go with his highs and I'm going to go with my lows as well. So I'm going to go and start things off. I'm going to keep mine quick, brief, simple, to the point. Not going to try and drag down too much. But one thing that has spiked recently is boxing versus MMA commentary. Which one's better? Oh, boxers will kill this guy. Oh, MMA fighters will kill this guy in a street fight. Blah, 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 back and forth, back and forth. I'm just going to keep it straight and simple. They both will destroy the other person in their own respective sport. And you could try and split it, say one has this element, one you don't do this, one doesn't do that, one's in a street fight. 
no matter what happens, if one of those professional athletes punches you in the mouth, you're going down most likely. It doesn't matter necessarily. Or if one of them knees you in the face or it does not really – it's a very pointless argument to have overall because there will be weird situations in both realms. And saying, oh, what about a street fight? That doesn't take into account someone, whoever. You know who wins a street fight? The guy who pulls out the gat or the guy who pulls a knife out of his pocket or the guy that has four people that jump in that were surrounding. So these are kind of – you're not going to get perfect scenarios where it works out that way. You could take somebody down because you're a better wrestler and smack your head on the concrete and you die. Oh, you won the fight, but you lost the war. Or you could land a perfect punch, but they somehow take it because their head is made of iron and then they do something like this. It's a very dumb commentary going. It is completely spread throughout X and everywhere, everywhere I see it. It's an art, it's like different arguments sprouts of every day. Chances are you just don't, no matter what your preference is, you don't want to be fighting either one of these guys. And I don't think these guys necessarily want to be fighting each other under their rule sets that they don't know either. Like, oh, I, I know boxing because I do MMA. You don't know boxing like that though. That is different. You don't want to enter that realm. And just like those boxers, they don't want to get kicked in the goddamn calf. Oh, what about a street fight? I'll dump him on his head. Unless you fall on your own head, too. Like, that's not a match. That is concrete. Unless, unless he dumps you on your head, and then what are you going to do then? What if he throws a sp- uppercut you don't see? Like, it's it's a very dumb commentary with too many variables. Like, predicting fighting and trying to plug in all these weird variables is just silly. If you want to settle it, go fight yourselves. Like, that's all fine, baby. <laughs> Like, go ahead and do it. But on the back and forth argument trying to justify either direction is just kind of silly and takes away from both of them. Fair enough. I, I agree with that, actually. I, I don't like the idea of trying to compare fighters, different fight styles like that. Like, I mean, I know you have MMA for a reason, obviously, mixed martial arts. They're all martial arts at, 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 the, at the whole at the soul of it all. But when it comes to boxing and everything else, it's like there's boxing and then there's everything else. Like, I'm sorry. It's just... It just is what it is. I like you're exactly right. I think there's so many rules and regulations when it comes to boxing that in MMA you don't see those as much. Like the fact that a guy can have his finger has full use of his fingers in MMA should just show you already there's a designation of differences between the two. And uh, the moment those gloves get that light too, you're a little concerned if even he's not a striker, he can still pop you in the face one or two good times, and you're like hitting here with these giant boxing gloves, like trying to figure out what's going on. And these guys are trained differently too. I mean, that's another aspect of this whole thing that gets overlooked is they're completely trained differently with complete expertise to their sport, not to be well-rounded. Now, obviously, some MMA guys are well-rounded, but there's going to be a lapse in the boxing side of that conversation unless you they were boxing. Was only done boxing. Like you will never match that because while you were training taking on offense, they were training boxing. While you were training getting not getting kicked in the face, it goes on and on and on. And then the justification of the street fight thing, it's like, in a street fight, it doesn't matter. Your job is to hit them and get the hell out of there, and and hope they don't pull out a gun. Basically, like it's Conor, a dumb, it's a dumb conversation. Conor McGregor showcased the exact reason why street fight conversations, when you try to talk about fighters, is a dumb idea. He literally threw a cart, a a, a load a loading oh, cart, like yeah. the thing you use, through a bus window in a street fight. Like wasn't even really a street fight. He just wanted to fight somebody in the street. With 27 goons or whatever it was, too. Like, they, they, so you know, I digress. We don't have a whole lot of time, so I won't go on the, on this too much more. But the comparison needs to chill. Yeah, no, that's 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 a, you know, that's always a fun one, though. That's uh, I, I agree. I think definitely strange, definitely strange. Um, all right, so that'll take me to my first high, and you know what? I'm gonna go in back into the NBA category here, and I'm gonna look at the Western Conference and hot starts. And there's two teams. I'm going to give both of them a high uh, because right now what they're doing is absolutely insane. One of them is my was my pick for uh, a, a, a 
you know, deep run in the playoffs here. And the other team was my pick for number one team in the West. Um, and they're currently there. So that's the Denver Nuggets, the reigning champions, sitting at seven and one in the season so far. Absolutely destroying everybody, except for one that one game they they lose on the road. And the Dallas Mavericks, led by Luca, who by the way is third in scoring right now at 31 and a half. Um, yeah, six and one for the Mavericks. I don't know if they can keep that up long term, but it looks pretty good. Again, their only loss is on the road. So it's a situation where, yeah, you're you're winning at home, you're not losing. And you and you're you know doing what you can on the road. It's it's a great situation for any team in the NBA. But right now, hot starts, man, are a big deal. Uh, you know, compare that to the Suns and the Kings, two playoff teams last year, two two top four teams in the West last year, who are at the bottom of the division or the conference right now. Yeah, I mean, you gotta give credit where credit's due for for both the Mavs and the and the Nuggets. Maybe more so the Mavs because a team that a lot not a lot of people expected to be in the top eight of that Western conference. So yeah, I mean, I think the situation right now you look at it, you're like, hmm. Maybe Luca actually wins MVP. Maybe Kelsey might finally be right for once. But then maybe I talked about it too soon. Just a little bit too soon. But the Mavs too, I want to see they can keep it up because it is definitely an, they're playing better defense than I thought, but still not really good defense. Like they are still outscoring people. That is a hard pace to keep up for a full season. So we'll see on that. It's possible they got the two guards to do it if they if they want to. They can score in a high clip. Then the Nuggets. I'm curious what happens now with Jamal Murray out for a couple of weeks. That hamstring strain. Do they stay rolling like they have done the previous couple of years? It does run through Jokic regardless. Or do we see like, hey, maybe Jamal Murray is a bigger part of the offense than we give him credit for recently. Maybe he has stepped up and was that all-star caliber player, not just a really good playoff performer that misses some time. So I am curious to see how long this keeps him out and what he looks like when he comes back too. So two hot teams, and if they keep this up, that's going to be a fun matchup when they play each other. Ironically, the Mavs' only loss is to that Nuggets team, which they almost came back and won multiple times in that fourth quarter too. So very yeah. Very good teams to watch. I'll keep my next low kind of short and sweet and to the point as well because I've touched on it in multiple other episodes. Arrogant coaching is a plague. Arthur Smith, I'm looking directly at him. The man is Chip Kelly 2.0. He he believes he is the smartest man in the room so much to the point where he doesn't. It's not even just Bijan Robinson. You know how many carries Bijan Robinson has in the red zone this season? Seven? Seven? One. Kenny Moore scored more touchdowns yet on Sunday than Bijan Robinson has red zone carries on the entire season. Just like how absolutely Josh Dobbs has more red zone touchdowns than Bijan has carries with the Vikings, just the Vikings. Like I'm not even, I, I can go on and on about this and it's not just Bijan. How many times John o. Smith has more yards in one game than Kyle Pitts has had all season. It feels like you're not even throwing the ball to like, and you can't even use the, Oh, well they're winning. You're surviving the easiest schedule in the NFL, statistically speaking, not just bias. Like, statistically speaking, it's been the easiest schedule and continues to be. And you're 500 and tied for third in the division or whatever it is. You're floating along with a rotating quarterback. Oh, and Drake London was out, has been out a week or two now as well, but he was not getting any burn either. He had a game with zero targets. Like it's At this point, it's going beyond like Chip Kelly levels of arrogance to try and make a point that you're not just a trust fund baby who got the coach because of, because of your family lineage at this point. It's you're going well above me. We even saw it in Tennessee. You, his great job in Tennessee was teaching, telling Ryan Tannehill to hand the ball off to Derrick Henry, then occasionally pull it in the red zone because Tannehill used to be a receiver. And Tannehill making the having AJ Brown and Corey Davis and John U. Smith, the aforementioned John U. Smith, and a good offensive line. Like, I digress. I'm not going to go too far into this, but and it's not just him. There's plenty of other arrogant coaches. That's the one I'm calling out in particular because that's been my hotbed this entire year, and especially when they ask him questions about like, why didn't Bijan touch the ball. Oh, you don't know football. Okay, you just lost. We're asking why you just lost to a guy who came off the couch who didn't even know his teammates' names. He literally said, oh, that's a job for this week is to learn my players' names. 
That's yeah. who you lost to while having a double-digit lead when he came in. But I digress. We don't have a lot of time. I want you to get into your high, so I'm gonna. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna leave it there. Arian coaching needs to chill. Agreed. Um, wholeheartedly agreed. We've talked about this a thousand and one times on the on the show. And there'll be a thousand and um, one more, but I digress. No, I just mean like like it's something that's that is it is a plague in sports in general. I mean, too many coaches are too arrogant to change to make their changes, and that's an issue. Um, but yeah, so. That's your last low. So I'm going to go into my high, and I'm going to go to a team I have been banging the drum on for three years here on this show. And when we had fourth and four going on, I banged it every single week, and I talked about how great this team could be if they get every, all their pieces together. And it looks like they're finally there, and maybe I'm speaking too too soon. I don't know, but hopefully not. I'm talking about the Detroit Lions. Six and two on the season, and looking at the rest of their schedule, have a chance to win seven of their last nine games uh, on paper, according to their schedule, according to their rankings and how they played these teams. Could end up the season with 13 wins. On top of that, you, I, I questioned what they were doing at running back with Jameer Gibbs, and I questioned why they get rid of uh, Williams there. And, and you know what? I'm eating my words right now, and I said I would do this during the season. If it came to the point where I'm starting, you know, if I need to eat my words, I would. And I do it in this situation. Jameer Gibbs, 399 yards. David Montgomery, 385 yards. Over 700 yards combined between the two. Almost 750, actually, between the two. So much talent that that they, that they you know, it just kind of reminds me of the old Lendell White, Reggie Bush look at USC back in the day. Uh, it's, it's a fashionable thing that somehow is coming back in the NFL today. And Jameer Gibbs able to spread out as well. Jared Goff on pace right now. If you project out the rest of his season almost have 5,500 yards in a season. He's at 2,174 right now. He'd be just shy of that about at about 5,400 if you if you actually He's break very it out. close to the record at that point. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's impressive to watch. Monroe St. Brown, 665 yards. Obviously, he's not going to lead the league in, in receiving this year with Tyreek doing what he's doing. And AJ. But, yeah, and then there's two <laughs> sneaky guys on this receiving yards list that I have to point out. Sam Laporta and Josh Reynolds. Sam Laporta is the number two receiver for the Lions at 434 yards. And Josh Reynolds, a guy who I have much said that is a he's, a, he's an asset, but he's never going to be that centerpiece. When Monroe St. Brown's been knocked, you know, knocked up a little bit of injuries, 397 yards on the season for Josh Reynolds. Absolutely fascinating. The team knows how to get after the quarterback. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson leading them with four and a half sacks. And then the interceptions are absolutely out of this mind, out of this world. Brian Branch already has one. Uh, Will Harris, and then also you have three coming from Jerry Jacobs. If you asked me who Jerry Jacobs was before the season, I wouldn't have been able to tell you. Ask me now, I can tell you who he is. Um, so this Detroit Lions team, Dan Campbell, what they're doing is absolutely impressive. I had to give them their kudos. I had to tell them I had to eat my words from the offseason because I questioned everything they were doing at running back, and I'm wrong. What Williams is doing in, in New Orleans is nothing. Zero compared to what they, they're able to do here in Detroit. David Montgomery is an absolute asset. Jameer Gibbs is fantastic. What David Montgomery did in one game has been more impressive than we've seen from a lot of running backs in an entire season in the last three years. So I'm gonna throw on top of that too. Both Gibbs and Montgomery have missed time. So the third stringer Reynolds has got a weird amount of carries on top of yeah, it. Yeah, he has over 100 yards carrying too. He has 179 yards carrying. And this is all with limited action from Jamison Williams. And they recently added Donovan Peoples Jones as well. And then they have those other tight ends, one of his names I can't pronounce to save my life, but I know he they liked him a lot last year. And the Motor City Dan Campbell has got them going. Detroit is going to be a force to a force to move on with as well. As long as they don't have to play the Ravens again. They they're looking awfully good if they can avoid that mess, honestly. As well. Are you thinking but, of Divine Azigbo? 
No, it was I in my I'd have to look at the roster. I get the point is they got like multiple tight ends that get burned even behind Simon Portis. So oh, they yeah, on, yeah, they have Oh, they, they, have three, they come on the three tight end set, and it's a passing threat every single yeah, time. Yeah, it's Sam Laporta, Brock Wright, James Mitchell all get burned every single game. Gotcha, exactly. So, like, either way, the Lions that, and that offensive line is still elite. So, no, all love for the Lions here as well, too. No arguments here. They proved me wrong. I thought they needed one I thought they needed one more year. I thought this was going to be the year they build on. The next year they do this. Nope, I was just, I was just, I was a year I was a year late with them. Like they they took it a year early. They took it personally, and they made me regret it. So, all kudos to the Lions. They look like a they're a favorite in the NFC. They're pretty much all but in the playoffs at this point, I'd imagine, barring an epic collapse. But yeah, that's going to do or it here. Shocks come back from the Vikings, either one. We're both of them so at the same time. Anything could happen as well, too. But that's going to do it here for the main event. That is now going to take us into Kelsey's favorite part of every show. That is, of course, Crunch Time. Crunch Time brought to you by our good friends at Outlier, outlier.bet, backslash high-low sports. Get yourself a free seven-day trial to best smarter, not harder. And, Kelsey, before we get out of here, I just got one quick question for you. Your reluctant Dallas Cowboys signing Martavis Bryant. Good, bad, don't care. Don't care. <laughs> I mean, look, the, the Cowboys need receiving help, and at this point in time, if Martavis Bryant can provide it, cool. If not, okay. Well, you didn't waste too much money, at least. Thank God. Um, I think there's better opportunities out there in the trade market, but you know what? I digress. Um, maybe you should have never got rid of Amari Cooper back in the day. So that's my only commentary on this because I could go very deep into this one Why? why I hate the the idea of bringing Martavis Bryant to the Cowboys, but while I at the same time do think they need receiving help, um, but yeah, I, I'm going to leave it at that. I think I think he's the wrong type of receiver. Let me just put it that way. I'll say you have good receivers. They just don't seem to get the ball. There seems to be a disconnect between the ball, the play call, and where they're at as well. Like Brandon Cook. The style of receivers, the style of receivers that are on the field are completely different from the plays that are being called. Michael Gallup is not a catch the ball and run behind the screen type of guy. Ceedee Lamb is. Brandon Cooks is. Brandon Cooks is also a guy that gives you those mid-range depth targets. Michael Gallup is a guy that runs up and down the sideline. You set him on nines, and you set him on deep posts. You let him one-on-one people. Yeah, but they're doing everything in complete reverse. They're sending C.D. Lamb on on, on deep nines and, and posts, and they're sending Brandon Cooks on – I mean, I don't even know what they're sending Brandon Cooks on half the time. I don't, I don't even know what's happening there. Um, and then, yeah, with Michael Gallup, I don't even know – his route tree, they're limiting it so much it doesn't make sense. I mean, you're talking about a guy that's supposed to be your number two. He's looking like a zero right now. He's behind Jace Washington or Jace, whatever it is. Oh, Jalen Tolbert. No, Jace, uh, the tight end. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Can you think of his last name right now? I'll say they're they're fortunate to see Lamb can do everything at a high level because he's been kind of their get out of jail free card in a lot of these spots as well, too. Because if you take when teams take away CD Lamb, it's they're they're not. Gallup needs to be putting nuts on people's foreheads, basically going above and catching and winning those one-on-ones. Brandon Cooks needs to be running away from people across the field or up the up the field. And it, it, I digress. The one thing that's interesting is Martavis Bryant hasn't played in four years, still is only like 31 years old. Yeah. And the first team that works him out signs him. So interesting. He obviously looked pretty darn good in that. So I he imagine looked, he's ready. He looks fantastic in the XFL. Let's not kid ourselves. He was a fantastic, fantastic asset in the XFL. He's big, so. fast, has pretty good hands. Probably shouldn't have been out of the league for four years, but I digress. Probably should only been a couple years. You know what? Bring Josh Gordon back while you're at it. But I digress. Won't go too far into that. But there's a, we'll definitely keep that. Ferguson, that was the, the tight end I was trying to think of for the Cowboys. Yeah, I, once again, there's a lot of weirdness going on with the Cowboys. We'll see. We will see. But I imagine they're going to try and throw them at least one deep ball. Burn the boats. Hmm? Just burn the boats. Ship it to next season. We're good. 
we'll, we'll, we'll see. I mean, they still got a playoff run to potentially go on before they have Tony nope, Pollard. I don't, need, I don't need to see it. I don't need my heart to get to get broken that way. You don't need to see Tony Pollard playing center in place of Zeke this year for a random play. Right. If the Colts got there, they'd try. They'd have a safety playing center and a punter taking a snap. So I don't, we don't have to worry. Still be a better position than Zeke as center. All right, we're not going to compare idiocracy between our two teams as history as well. What that will do, though, is that will end it here for the High Low Sports Podcast. We appreciate y'all for joining us here to talk a little bit of sports on this Wednesday evening, or if you're listening to us on one of your favorite places to catch podcasts. Of course, check out our YouTube page for tier Tuesdays as well too, and come back next week. We got a little fun surprise in next week's show as well too. So we will see you all again next time.